0: Hi, folks. I'm Alan Watt, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 11th of February 2009. For newcomers coming into the show, I ask you to come into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com website, and you'll find lots of talks I've given on the past, giving you lots of insights into the histories behind what's generally called the New World Order. It's had many terms down through the ages. And often it's only been part of a phase when they call a new world order exactly that. And it's never really what the public thinks it is. Uh, That's the trick of it. We think it's just the ending of the the old Soviet system, the balance of powers, as they called it. And we go into a new system, Uh, but it's certainly not one of peace. It is a, a new world order that was dreamed of long ago and written about by those who participated in its evolution. So we're going to the cuttingthroughmetrics.com website and you can find lots of talks I've given on this subject. Also look into Sentinel.eu, and you can download transcripts of these talks, print them up and pass them around to your friends And they're written in the various languages of Europe. This last while I've been given some of the histories behind at least the last hundred odd years, couple of hundred years, of the pushing towards this system, it's not developing happenstance as they go along. In fact, what's mind-boggling is the, as the legalities and the treaties and the setups ups the bureaucrats used even as back far back as the 1700s to do with the setting up of a, a new international system. And the present generation doesn't have much memory or even even do with history concerning the incredible revolutionary movements that were on the go in the seventeen hundreds and eighteen hundreds right up into the nineteen hundreds and they had international meetings across the world and they were allowed to have these international meetings by all the big governments involved, even though most of the revolutionary movements supposedly I say supposedly are going to overthrow these same governments that allowed them in to have their meetings. That that doesn't make sense, does it? It's only when you realize that the banking fraternity that existed at that time was part of the revolutionary system. And they funded it because they were all part of a one brotherhood or fraternity, if you like. And particular bankers have been brought to prominence by these massive fraternities over centuries to do exactly what they're doing today. Yesterday I went into the, the foundations of the Royal Institute of International Affairs and I was reading from a book, a very good book. It gives you lots of, I'd say it was a summary really of the different parts of this agenda. Each part, I, I know the author could probably write books on, many books, be so you need volumes of them like encyclopedia volumes to go through this so much of it so he's condensed it to an extent but he's condensed it in pertinent places so we can understand fairly quickly the history of this and it's called hope of the wicked the master plan to rule the world by ted flynn it's an excellent book to get a hold of because he's done his homework and he's documented the dates and the organizations that all help agenda forward, and it shows you where it's going. And, as I said before, it's interesting that really a handful of bankers and banking families have been completely integrated with the revolutionary movements for over 200 years, and what we're going through is a continuation of that, and we'll go into more of this in tonight's talk back after these messages. There is no competition today to this agenda. The pre-well eradicated all of it. And you won't understand what's happening today or where it's supposed to go unless you understand where it's come from and how old this is. Because I've said before many times, in the old books that they printed up by many of the people, the key players of their era, you'll find that You've lived part of your life, and the policies they advocated have been introduced and implemented. Like clockwork, in fact. Because they do run on 50-year, 100-year, 150-year plans, just the same way as the Soviet Union did. And if you look into United Nations, they have their 5-year plans for certain things, 10 to accomplish others, 50-year plans for others, and so on. That's how it's done. It's the same organization. And in Hope of the Wicked on page 5, I'll continue here to show you that everything that's happening today, what's coming up and what's in the media today, was written long ago. They never changed their plans. In 1932, it says here, new books are published urging world order. One was Towards Soviet America by William Z. Foster, head of the Communist Party USA. Foster indicates that a national development or Department of Education will be one of the means used to develop a new socialist society in the U.S. And then there's another one, the New World Order by F.S. Marvin describes the League of Nations, which is a precursor to the United Nations, as a first attempt at a New World Order. So even then, a first attempt, they knew then, they'd call it something else down the road. Marvin says, nationality must rank below the claims of mankind as a whole. Another one was called Dare the School Build a New Social Order by George Counts, an educator and author. And he asserted that teachers should deliberately reach for power and then make the most of their conquest in order to influence the social attitudes, ideals, and behavior of the coming generation. The growth of science and technology has carried us into a new age where ignorance must be replaced by knowledge, Competition by cooperation, trust and providence by careful planning, and private capitalism by some form of social economy. And we've got to remember, too, that one of the big founders of the League of Nations was the very guy who set up the economic system we've been running on right up to the present time. And that was all part of it as well. The Greener please the private capitalism by some form of social economy that's into communitarianism i first heard that with george bruce senior in a speech i almost fell off the chair when he used it 1932 plan for peace they always call their victory of the world is peace so we'll never be misled by the word peace the communists also used the term peace peace movements And peace, by definition to them, was the absence of all opposition. Plan for Peace by American Birth Control League founder Margaret Sanger is published. She calls for coercive sterilization, mandatory segregation, and rehabilitative concentration camps for all dysgenic stocks, including blacks, Hispanics, American Indians, and Catholics. Now, we've already mentioned the list that H.G. Wells gave out prior to that in his book that um, was called uh, uh, we call, it's called um, History of the World, Part 1 and 2, although it was actually finished by his son. He died in the process. In 1933, the first Humanist Manifesto, very important to read. I gave up the link last night to it. The Humanist Manifesto is published. Co-author was John Dewey, was the noted philosopher and educator that he set up the American school system. And it calls for a synthesizing of all religion and a socialized and cooperative economic order. This mm-hmm. is all to do with where, where you're at now. What's happening now, the banks didn't all just suddenly collapse by like dominoes, by chance. Co-signer C.F. Potter said in 1930, education is thus the most powerful ally of humanism and every American public school is a school of humanism. What can the theistic Sunday schools, meeting for half or for an hour once per week, teaching only a fraction of the children, do to stem the tide of a five-day program of humanistic teaching? That's what he said. And he was echoing what we find Bertrand Russell saying in his book, Education and a Good Life, written long before that. So about scientific indoctrination. Dewey's progressive education spreads phenomenally throughout the 30s and the 40s? In 1933, the shape of things to come by H.G. Wells, a safe propagandist, is published for the Council of Foreign Relations, or relative of international affairs. Wells predicts a second world war around 1940. The Great Crystal Ball is going right, but mind you, who is working for the guys that set up the wars? And I've gone through the history of that. This particular group, CFR. Wrong Street of International Affairs, how they been in the business of setting up wars since their foundation under the Cecil Rhodes Society. So 1940, originating from a German-Polish dispute, after 45, there'd be an increasing lack of public safety in criminally infected areas. The plan for the modern world state would succeed on its third attempt, about 1980 it says here, with 90s too, and come out of the and come out of something that occurred in Basra, Iraq. It's interesting that when Gulf War II happened, you'll notice that the British were sent to Basra, Iraq, to fight, and the Americans took the north. The book also states, although world government has been plainly coming for years, although it's been endlessly feared and murmured against, it found no opposition prepared anywhere. And it's true. Remember what Albert Pike said, they never start a premature revolution. Each part of your life is when you see phases of its revolution, and it will be over and done with before you can sneeze, because there's no opposition. They make sure that they vanquish all opposition before the revolution takes place. 1934, the book comes out, The Externalization of the Hierarchy by Alice A. Bailey. It's published. Now, I've read before about the fact that Bailey was a a member, too, of the Fabian Society. Very interesting organisation as part of this movement. Bailey's an occultist whose works are channeled, supposedly, from a spirit guide, the Tibetan master, Joao Kul. Bailey uses the phrase points of light, the same one you heard, whose senior use in his New World Order speech in connection with a new group of world servers, and claims that that 1934 marks the beginning of the organizing of the men and women, group work of a new order, with progress defined by service, world service, what we're hearing now with this new economic system coming in, a world of service, right? The world of the brotherhood, she also calls it, the forces of light, and out of the spoliation of all existing culture and civilization, the new world order must be built. That's what she said in her book. And she was down in the Fabian Society, and you can check it out yourself, it's on their website, as a theosophist and a revolutionary. It's interesting because I say all cultural organizations, in fact, all governments have a department of culture that used to puzzle me. I thought, well, the people surely are the culture and the products of it, the ones who perpetuate it, and that's when you realize how wrong you could possibly be because culture is directed from the top down, and government pays groups, NGOs, non-governmental organizations, only if they promise to radically, and that the term is radical, alteration of the culture. They'll get paid to do so. So all governments will be on board with this agenda since the setting up of the League of Nations through the United Nations to the present time. Getting back to this book, the book, The Externalization of the Hierarchy, is published by the Lucis Trust, incorporated originally in New York as the Lucifer Publishing Company. Lucis Trust is a United Nations non-governmental organization and has been a major player at the recent UN summits. Future Assistant Secretary General of the UN, Robert Mueller, would credit the creation of his world core curriculum for education to the underlying teachings of Dwal Kuhl, the channeled entity, via Alice Bailey's writings on the subject. And you think this is just an atheistic organization. Well, they certainly push push atheism on everyone else. Make sure that you become one. 1937, Pope Pius XI writes, Communism has behind it Occult forces, which for a long time have been working for the overthrow of the Christian social order. Well, they made no bones about that. 1939, addressed by John Foster Dulles, again, member of the Council on Foreign Relations. And he was in the CIA too, Secretary of State, and so on. It says, he proposed, he proposes in 1939 that America lead the transition to a new order of less independent Semi sovereign states bound together by a league or federal union. Communitarianism again. 1939. New World Order by H.G. Wells proposes a collectivist one world state or New World Order comp- comprised of socialist democracies. Socialist democracies. Remember, these guys set up the Soviet Union, too, the same bankers and same Wall Street for International Affairs and funded the revolution. Back, but more after this break. Hi, folks, I'm Alan Watts, and this is cutting through the matrix, just going through the timelines Here is the altered cultures of the world, step by step, up to where we are today, and if you understand some of these writings, you'll know where we're going as well, because they never changed their plans, they've never changed their goals in all this time. In 1939, the book New World Order by H.G. Wells proposes a collectivist one-world state or new world order comprised of socialist democracies. He advocates universal conscription for service and declares that nationalist individualism is the world's disease. Individualism. Eventually, they they go on later on and drop the national part and they declare that the individual is the world's worst disease. Because we're a collective, where we serve the state collectively. Remember the Club of Rome also said that they looked around all the different systems in the world and they favoured collectivism and they dreamed up the global warming scam that's now the holy mantra of climate change that we all have to obey or else. Back to H.G. Wells he continues the manifest necessity for some collective world control to eliminate warfare and remember he's working for the guys that caused the warfare and financed it, by the way. This is, and the less generally admitted necessity for a collective control of the economic and biological life of mankind. So someone to be given control of the biological life of mankind are aspects of one and the same process, he says. He proposes that this be accomplished through universal law, that's United Nations and treaties, and propaganda or education. 1940, the New World Order is published by the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. Another part of the CFR. Big foundation. And contains a select list of references on regional and world federation that the world set up for regions before it become, get joined together. 1940. Together with some special plans for world order after the war. And that was the the setting up, really, of the United Nations, which went on during World War II. And they took the same charter from the United Nations and simply amplified it, extended it into the United Nations. 1940, in the congressional record, an article entitled, A New World Order John G. Alexander Calls for a World Federation. It's called the World Federalist Society. And most of the big newsboys... Who've retired recently over the years are all members of it. They give you your national news, these internationalists who work for this organization. 1942, the Leftist Institute of Pacific Relations, that was a front, remember, Carol Quigley said so, off the Royal Issue of International Affairs to deal with the Far East, publishes War, a War: Post War Worlds. Post War Worlds is a publication by P.E. Corbett which he states, world government is the ultimate aim. It must be recognized that the law of nations takes precedence over national law. The process will have to be assisted by the deletion of the nationalistic material employed in educational textbooks and its replacement by material explaining the benefits of wiser association. Now, John Dewey also advocated, remember, the abolition of history. To bring up one generation without any history, especially any history to do with conflict between peoples. 1945, President Truman endorses world government in a speech saying, It will be just as easy for nations to get along in a republic of the world as it is for us to get along in a republic of the United States. Mayor Benjamin Franklin said that he envisaged a federa- the Federation of the United States as the beginning of a federation of the world, run by 12 wise men. Interesting, you can go back to Bailey again, a member of the Fabian Society, and she and her cronies were raising Krishnamurti, and putting him out with a new Messiah, this one who would come with all the wisdom to help change the world. the post-war worlds it says here world government is the ultimate aim then in 45 Truman addresses world government in speech 45 the United Nations charter becomes effective also on October 24, 1945 Senator Glenn Taylor from Ohio introduces Senate Resolution 183 calling upon the US Senate to go on record as favoring creation of a world republic including an international police force 1946, Alger Hiss is elected president of the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace, again, foundation. Hiss holds this office until 1949. Early in 1950, he is convicted of perjury and sentenced to prison after a sensational trial and congressional hearing in which Whitaker Chambers, former senior editor of the Times, of the Time, I should say, testifies that Hiss was a member of the Communist Party cell. But he drafted up the charter with the help of some Canadians, high-power Canadians at that. One became a prime minister. 1946, the teacher and world government by former editor of the NEA, Journal National Education Association, Joy Elmer Morgan, is published says, in the struggle to establish an adequate world government, a teacher can do much to repair the hearts and minds of children for global understanding and cooperation. We'll be back with more of this after these messages. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. That educational agencies which will assure the coming of world government must stand the school, the teacher, and the organized profession. Remember, they're doing exactly what they're doing here, if you really look at it, what they're doing here to the Western world, the same organization and the foundations, these same foundations and organizations were, were doing in the Soviet Union. The Soviet means councils, ruled by councils, NGOs. Non-governmental organizations could understand that they were setting up the identical system across the Western world under camouflage so that it would be recognized by the public simply by omitting the term communist from it. Simple as that. Simple as that. And people thought we were fighting the Soviet system all along. Meanwhile, the boys and girls who worked for the Royal Institute for International Affairs, Council on Foreign Relations, and their foundations and their banks to back them all up were funding all the projects right through the Soviet Union, right through its whole era, and doing the exact same thing in the West under different names. Apparently all unconnected, but they were all completely connected together. This is your perfect synthesis? Because the Soviet Union did not go down by its own accord. Lenin himself said the dictatorship would last about a generation, 70 years. Then it would blend into something of the West, not quite capitalist, not quite communist. It's the collectivist system. And it's pretty well all been done. And throughout all the changes in Congress or parliaments of left-wing and right-wing, it's gone on unimpeded, because Quigley himself said in Tragedy and Hope, it doesn't matter who he elects. He says, we always rule the heads of all parties. That's all you need. So we were Sovietized without knowing it. Sovietization ruled by councils, NGOs, all financed by the same banks. who we were financing Russia all through the Soviet era. 1947, no, actually 1947, the American Education Fellowship, formed by the Progressive Education Association, organized by John Dewey, calls for the establishment of a genuine world order, an order in which national sovereignty is subordinate to world authority. Now, John Dewey is using the, using the same communist techniques of getting to the young. Remember, older people have contaminated ideas. That's how they called it in the Soviet system. But they also used that term as the of International Affairs contaminated by the elders' opinions and life experience. 47 again. National Education Association. Associate Secretary William Carr writes in the NEA Journal that teachers should teach about the various proposals that have been made for the strengthening of the United Nations and the establishment for world citizenship and world government. What's Mr. Rockefeller and his foundation been handing out for years? World Citizenship Awards. Private companies, private organisations, and bankers. 1940 Britain's Sir Harold Butler, in the CFR's Foreign Affairs magazine, sees a new world order taking shape. How far can the life of nations, which for centuries have thought of themselves as distinct and unique, be merged with the life of other nations? How far are they prepared to sacrifice a part of their sovereignty without which there can be no effective economic or political union? Out of the prevailing confusion, a new world is taking shape, which may point the way towards new world order. That will be the beginning of a real United Nations, no longer crippled by a split personality, but held together by a common faith. A common faith. Very religious terms. 1948, the president of UNESCO... United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization and Fabian Socialist Sir Julian Huxley calls for a radical eugenics policy in UNESCO. It was called Its Purpose and Its Philosophy. He states, thus, even though it is quite true that any radical eugenic policy of controlled human breeding will be for many years politically and psychologically impossible, it will be important for UNESCO to see that the eugenic problem is examined with the greatest care that the public mind is informed of the issues at stake, that much that is now unthinkable may at least become thinkable. He's the same beauty, the beauty who advocated the fact that it has to get us so humanistically indoctrinated that we would start to accept that human life was not so valuable or sacred after all. And this was after all the horror of Hitler and World War II. 1948, still running the same agenda, because they never change. Again, in 1948, the preliminary draft of World Constitution is published by U.S. educators advocating regional federation on the way towards world federation or government with England incorporated into a European federation, 1948. The Constitution provides for a World Council Along with a chamber of guardians. Interesting phrase because remember, they all love Plato in and, and his new his, uh, his book called The Republic. He talks about the ones who rule the world, the upper, better bred type, the real eugenically bred type, would be called the guardian class. And here they call it the guardians, chamber of guardians. And you think this is a, a recent little plan? So the chamber of guardians were to enforce world law. Also included is a preamble calling upon nations to surrender their arms to the world government and including the right of this Federal Republic of the World to seize private property for federal use. Well, that's happening now. 1950. The Senate Foreign Relations Subcommittee introduces Senate Concurrent Resolution 66, which begins, in order to achieve universal peace and justice, The present Charter of the United Nations should be changed to provide a true world government constitution. The resolution was first introduced in the Senate on September 13, 1949, by Senator Glenn Taylor from Ohio. Senator Alexander Wiley from Wisconsin called it a a consummation devoutly to be wished for, and said, I understand your proposition is either to change the United Nations' or change or create by a separate convention a world order Senator Taylor later stated we would have to sacrifice considerable sovereignty to the world organization to enable them to levy taxes in their own right to support themselves or well, what we got happening today with the carbon taxes and all the rest of it going to the United Nations and so as I said, they never changed their plans And they can wait, and they can wait very patiently and get each part of it done. And even the statements given out by Brzezinski and Kissinger about the U.S. now having to basically give up their sovereignty to an extent or their power role in the world and become submerged into this monster that it helped finance into existence through the tax money. 1952, John Foster Dulles, soon to become Secretary of State, member of the CFR, mentioned all throughout Carol Quigley's book, because member of the CIA and everything else, because they're all intertwined, says in a speech to the American Bar Association in Louisville to Kentucky that treaty laws can override the Constitution. That in itself was treason right there. It says treaties can take power away from Congress and give them to the President. They can take powers from the states and give them to the federal government or to some international body, and they can cut across the rights given to the people by their constitutional bill of rights. A Senate amendment proposed by GOP Senator John Bricker would have provided that no treaty could supersede the Constitution, but it fails to pass by one vote. by only by one vote? 1953, i I mentioned this committee before, The Reiss Congressional Committee investigates the Council on Foreign Relations and her sister organization, the Institute for Pacific Relations, which are all under the Royal Institute for International Affairs. (laughs) The committee and director of research, Norman Dodd, found that the Council overly propagandizes the globalist concept. Quite plainly, the Council's aim is to abolish national sovereignty for globalism. Quite clearly, quite plainly, it says here, the Council's aim is to abolish national sovereignty for globalism. Its two objectives are world government and the global banking. You see, banking, like Quigley said, especially the Bank for International Settlements, was at the top of the pyramid and the World Bank next to it. What's happening right now, they're getting all authority because of this crash that they brought on, and these same bankers, by the way, brought it on. They're the main bankers to all the lesser bankers to give power to the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank. They're always, they always follow their agenda building a universal community of nations its president Leslie Gelb defined one of the council's major undertakings as finding, nurturing and placing people in today's one world order and they do and they're doing it in Britain too and across Europe common purpose you'll find the teachers who are members of it pick out certain children who are to be made the future leaders of the world trained just like Bailey was training and her predecessors were training Krishnamurti Same thing. And they will be totally indoctrinated in one concept. And if you think the previous systems were bad, or religions, you ain't seen nothing yet. 1954, Prince Bernard of the Netherlands establishes the Bilderbergers, international politicians and bankers who meet secretly on an annual basis. The meeting takes place in a Dutch hotel. 1957, Julian Huxley, the first Director General of UNESCO, writes an anticipatory... Triumph, operationally, God is beginning to resemble not a ruler, but the last fading smile of a cosmic Cheshire cat. Remember, religion had to be totally abolished. Remember, he's the same man who said, and I read it last week or the week before, he said, religion's all right as long as there's no God in it. See, you can't have any competition. When the state is God, and they come to execute you, who are you going to appeal to? The state once religion's out of the picture altogether. 1958, World Peace Through World Laws, it is published. Queen authors Grenville Clark and Louis Son advocate using the UN as a governing body for the world, world disarmament, a world police force, and legislator. 1958, Aldo Huxley, the brother of Julian, and his brook, Brave New World Revisited quotes a character called the Grand Inquisitor for one of Dostoevsky's parables as saying, in the end the people will lay their freedom at the controller's feet and say, make us your slaves, but feed us. That's coming. That's coming because I told people to go into the Royal Institute of International Affairs website and near the big bunch with many, many different branches working on the coming world food shortages, because all the big five agri-food businesses are part of the same revolutionary group. They own the world's food supply. Continuing he says he writes, the 21st century will be the era of world controllers. And then he tells us why these controllers would not fail. He says the older dictators fell because they could never supply their subjects with enough bread, enough circuses, enough miracles and mysteries. Trivia and entertainment, in other words. Under a scientific dictatorship, education will really work, with the result that most men and women will grow up to love their servitude and will never dream of revolution. There seems to be no good reason why a thoroughly scientific dictatorship should ever be overthrown. 1959, the Council on Foreign Relations calls for a new international order. Study number seven, issued on November 25th, advocates a new international order which must be responsive to world aspirations for peace. They always call it peace. And you understand your definition of peace when there's no opposition. That means individualism or anything. No opposition. For social and economic change, an international order including states labeling themselves as socialist. 1959, the World Constitution and Parliament Association is founded which later develops a diagram of world government under the Constitution of the Federation of Earth. 1959, the mid-century challenge to U.S. foreign policy is published, sponsored by the Rockefeller Brothers Fund, again Foundation. It explains that the U.S. cannot escape, and indeed should welcome the task which history has imposed on us. This is the task of helping to shape a new world order in all its dimensions, spiritual, spiritual, Economic, political, and social. Everything, in other words, everything. 1960, President Eisenhower signed Senate Joint Resolution 170, promoting the concept of a federal Atlantic Union. Poster Atlantic Union Committee, Treasurer Elmo Roper, later delivers an address titled, The Goal is Government of All the World, in which he states, for it becomes clear that the first step towards world government cannot be completed until we have advanced on the four fronts, the economic front, the military front, the political, and the social. 1961, the U.S. State Department issues a plan to disarm all nations and arm the United Nations. State Department document number 7277 is entitled Freedom from War, The U.S. Program for General and Complete Disarmament in a Peaceful World. It details a three-stage plan to disarm all nations and arm the United Nations so that in the final stage no state would have the military power to challenge the progressively strengthened U.N. Peace Force. They call it a peace force. They send soldiers around the column, peacekeepers, with grenades and bullets and guns. Peace Force. Double speak, You know, those in authority have already debated the United Nations and published it too, that they will ultimately be the only ones authorized to use violence in the world. The only ones authorized to use violence. Everyone will be forbidden except them. That means you couldn't defend yourself either against anything. 1962, new calls for world federalism, a study titled A world effectively controlled by the United Nations, CFR member Lincoln Bloomfield states if the communist dynamic was greatly abated and the West might lose whatever incentive it has for world government. And we're back with more because this is very interesting stuff for those who can follow it. Back after these messages. Nineteen sixty two. The Future of Federalism by Nelson Rockefeller is published. The one time governor of New York claims that current events compellingly demand a new world order, as the old order is crumbling, and there is a new and free order struggling to be born. This is at the height, remember, of when they'd already set Bernays loose on the American public and created the more modern American culture Bernice hated the people by the way he thought they were all fools I truly hated them, despised them because it was just too easy to get everybody doing what they wanted them to do and dress the way he wanted them to dress and drink booze and smoke cigarettes and all the rest of it and even behaviour alterations he despised them So here they are. As I say, in the future of federalism by Nelson Rockefeller. Rockefeller says there is a fever of nationalism, but the nation-state is becoming less and less competent to perform its international political tasks. These are some of the reasons pressing us to lead vigorously towards the true building of a new world order with voluntary service. You're hearing that over and over today: in a world of service, voluntary service, and our dedicated faith in the brotherhood of all mankind. Brotherhood of all mankind. Sooner perhaps than we realize, they will evolve the basis for a federal structure of the free world. Well, they'll have it all for free, I guess that's what they mean, because no one's putting up any resistance to them. Again, Council on Foreign Relations, memory. 1963 a report from Iron Mountain is commissioned and published in 66. A blueprint was established by leading intellectuals on the methods to establish a new world order based upon a perpetual state of war and chaos, being fear. The book in later years was suppressed, and it was denied that the meetings ever took place. John Kenneth Galbraith of Harvard, who wrote a lot on finance, said he was a participant. Remember I mentioned yesterday a perpetual state of fear. They keep using fear and terror to get us to go along with it. That's what we've had since 2001. Now it's, now it's transferred from terrorists to terrorists and climate change. Perpetual fear. A barrage of it. And that's what you do with animals when you want to stampede to them as long as you're leading them along the corral or into the corral. 1963, Jai William Fulbright, chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, speaks at a symposium sponsored by the Fund for the Republic, a left-wing project of the Ford Foundation, Ghent Foundation, all members of the same group. The case for government by elites is irrefutable. Government by the people is possible but highly improbable. So the case for government by elites is irrefutable. The system we're going into is a world order where the natural aristocracy, the properly educated ones, the scientific community, will run our lives for us, you see, from birth to death. 1964 Taxonomy of Educational Objectives, Handbook 2, is published. Author Benjamin Bloom states a large part of what we call good teaching is the teacher's ability to attain effective objectives through challenging the student's fixed beliefs to eradicate religion, you see. This outcomes based education method of teaching would be first tried as mastery learning in Chicago schools. After five years, test scores had plummeted in Chicago, causing outrage amongst parents. That was the start of the real dumbing down process. So it got dumbed them, dumb them down, make them happy, give them trivia. While you change their whole world around them, I can hear the music coming in. So from Hamish, myself, from a very kind of melting Ontario, Canada, as good night to me. Your God or your gods, all with you.